A.W. Tozer was a theologian, an author, really, really smart guy, way smarter than me. To be fair, that doesn't take a lot, but he was way smarter than me. And A.W. Tozer said this, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Today's problem that we're going to discover is that there were some people in Jerusalem that had a low view of God, and Nehemiah is going to call that out. But as Nehemiah had this high view of God, it was the answer to some problems that they were facing. Something that I think can sometimes be confusing, hard to understand, not entirely sure what does it look like, is this idea of the fear of God. We see it over and over and over again in Scripture, the fear of God and how important it is. Proverbs and Psalms both say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then there's that tension of, yeah, the fear of the Lord, but how does that relate to the kindness of God? And what about the love of God and the mercy of God? Are those mutually exclusive? Do I have to choose one or the other? And what we're going to discover today is no. But the fear of God can be something, again, it's often misunderstood and Maybe it's kind of confusing, but it's so, so very important to the life of a Christian. And what we're going to discover today, let me give you kind of verses 1 through 5. We're not going to read them in Nehemiah chapter 5. You can read them for yourself later. The problem that we find ourselves in, if you remember, if you haven't been with us, or if you've missed a couple weeks, or whatever that looks like, just a reminder, Nehemiah has traveled about a thousand miles back to Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem had been broken down for about 140 years or so. Nehemiah feels this call of God, go back and rebuild the wall. And so he starts this construction project and people from the outside and outside towns and outside places are trying to stop the work. They want Jerusalem to be broken down. So we looked at that last week. But in verses one through five of Nehemiah chapter five, what we discover is not an external problem, but an internal problem. That the external problem was able to be solved by just resilience, but It was actually an internal problem that threatened the entire project. And what had happened is there was a famine that had gone on, and the king had started to tax, not started, but it continued to tax during the famine. There's some other problems, and essentially, and you can read it for yourself, verses 1 through 5, there was this outcry of the poor people that says, hey, something's not right here, that we're having to mortgage our homes, we're having to sell off our fields, we're working really hard on this wall, and so we don't have all the time to focus on our, our business, and we're broke, and we don't have enough money to buy food, and we don't have enough money to pay the tax, and some people had gone so far because they were in such a destitute place that we've actually sold our children into slavery so that we can have food to eat. And Nehemiah hears this, and he says, this is not right. Because for Jewish people, for Jewish people, here's the tension, is that the rich people were taking advantage of the poor people. The rich people were loaning the poor people money at a high interest rate, which was against Jewish law. If you go back to uh, Exodus, and if you go back to Leviticus and the law of the Jews, you could loan a fellow Jew money but you weren't allowed to charge interest. But these rich people were saying, here's an opportunity not to help somebody, but here's an opportunity to take advantage of somebody, and it was causing all of this turmoil and all of this tension. And Nehemiah comes along and says, don't you fear God? He says, the reason that you are doing this is you have what A.W. Tozer said, you've got a low view of God. 
And a low view of God has brought all of these other challenges and problems that ought not be the case. And so what does that look like to practically in 2024 to fear God? Does that mean that I'm like scared? Is he going to come and get me? And what what about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God? Well, well, Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, you don't have to go there, but it shows us perfectly kind of the, the, what's at stake here? It says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. So so you're getting ready. Here's the, the backstory of this. This is the 10 commandments chapter. And so God is coming to this mountain, he's speaking to the people, and the people are terrified because of the magnitude of God. But at first glance, it feels like this tension in this verse. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of God. Okay, got it. God has come to test you so that the fear of God, well, you just said don't be afraid. Yeah, you don't have to be afraid of God, but I want you to fear God. Well, that's, what's the, what's the difference? And what's the, that feels strange to me that the fear of God will be with you. Why? To keep you from sinning. And so what we're going to see in here in Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to say why it's so important is that there is a difference, there's a huge difference, and it's so important that you recognize it, of being scared of God and the fear of the Lord. Two totally different things. Being scared of God is if you uh, are familiar with scripture, you remember Adam in the garden right after they had sinned, he, God came And what was Adam? Adam hid because he was afraid. There was sin and he was scared of God. That's not what we're trying to get to today. That what we're trying to find is the fear of God is I don't have anything to hide. I'm not afraid of the judgment of God because of what Jesus has done through his death on the cross and his resurrection. I am covered in Jesus and so I'm no longer afraid of the judgment of God. The fear of God is that I am terrified of being away from him. I don't want to be anywhere other than just near him. In other words, let me say it this way, and let me try to bring this illustration because it is confusing, that the fear of God is the sense and the heaviness of that God is not someone to be trifled with. He's not someone to be taken lightly or carelessly or or flippantly. That's why I kind of have that tension, and if you have one, it's I, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but the, back in when I was in high school, there was this huge craze, and I actually owned one of the shirts that Jesus is my homeboy. And it's just that, and, you know, I get the idea that, yeah, we're friends of God, but also it just feels a little flippant and a little casual and maybe not a high view of God. I want you to imagine this. Maybe, maybe this is a, a way that we can illustrate it. I want you to imagine your attitude and how careful you would be riding a bike on an abandoned highway where you know no cars are coming. I mean, think of how casual that would be. You can just ride and you can, there's no cars and you can just go here and there and there's no concern whatsoever versus how you would act if you were riding your bike on the rim of the Grand Canyon. Now, if you're riding your bike on the rim of the Grand Canyon, there is a little bit of tension there. There's a little bit, I need to be careful. And I'm not scared that this ridge that I'm riding on is going to collapse under the weight of me. I'm not scared of that thing. What I'm scared of is on the other side of this rim is destruction, is pain, is problems, and so because I don't wanna fall into that, I'm gonna be really careful how I ride along this ridge. I'm not scared of the ridge. 
I am scared of falling off of the ridge. I'm not worried that the ridge isn't strong enough to hold me. I'm not worried that the ridge is gonna get mad at me and kick me off. I'm just worried, I wanna be so careful riding my bike because if I am not on, away from the ridge, away from my security, there's destruction and there's pain and there's some problems. That's the fear of God. And I'm not scared that God's gonna kick me off. And I'm not scared that God is gonna just say, oh, I can't handle you and throw me away. I'm not scared of God. I'm confident in God. I'm secure in God. I'm held really well by God. What I'm scared of is I don't wanna be away from him. I, I, I wanna be so careful that I, I do exactly what, uh, go back one slide, Keith, can you go backwards a slide? I don't wanna sin. I wanna be so careful the way that I ride my bike on that ridge that I don't fall off to the side because I know there's some problems over there. I, as I fear God, I'm not scared of him, but I fear that, man, if I go away from what he's called me to do, there's some destruction there and there's pain and there's some, some heartache there and so I, I'm just careful. That is the fear of God and that is what A.W. Tozer was saying, that a high view of God is the solution to Lots of other problems, but a low view of God, and it adds all of these extra issues in your life. And we're gonna discover that in Nehemiah chapter five today. Two slides forward for me, Keith, that when I fear God, here's kind of the big idea. If you fall asleep, if you're watching online and you lose your internet connection, if you forget everything else, here's the big idea, that when I fear God, I'm gonna love what he loves, and I'm gonna hate what he hates. That's the fear of God. That when I fear God, I'm gonna love the things that God loves, I'm gonna hate the things that God hates. I'm not afraid of judgment, I'm fear of, of doing something that would maybe dishonor his name because he's paid such a high price for me. And so this morning from Nehemiah chapter five, we discover some things that will happen because we have a high view of God. And that's where I want all of us to get to. I want all of us to ride along that rim, secure in the, in, in, man, God's strong enough to hold me. He's not gonna kick me off. He's not gonna throw me away, but I wanna be so careful that I stay right where he wants me to stay because away from that, man, there's some pain and some problems that I wouldn't have to go through otherwise. So in Nehemiah chapter five, we discover a few things. Number one, that my fear of God is expressed in my love for God's people. It is not just about me and me only that when I have a high view of God, when I fear God, it is expressed in such a way that you are important to me and you're important to me and even if you see things differently the way that I do, then you're important because we're all children of God. The problem that the Israelites face and that Nehemiah said is the rich people are taking advantage of the poor people and the reason you're doing that is you don't fear God because if you feared God, you would treat people that God loves the way that God loves them, and yeah, you're different, you have and they have not, but that's no excuse for you to treat them any other way. Verses number six through nine of Nehemiah chapter five says this, when I heard their cry and these charges, man, I was angry. I pondered them in my mind, and I accused the nobles and the officials, and I told them, man, you're charging your own people interest. That was against the Jewish law. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, man, as far back as possible, We've bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Nichon. So, so they had been slaves before. They had used the money and bought them back. And then people were selling themselves back into slavery because people were charging this high interest rate they couldn't afford to pay. And Nehemiah says, man, that's not right. You don't fear, you don't fear God. We bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Nichons. Now you're selling your only, own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they couldn't find anything to say, and so I continued, now what you're doing's not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? 
a high view of God was what was missing. That's why they were treating people that way. In our life, and if you're gonna fear God, we, we don't wake up and ask, man, how can I oppress people? We don't ask that. We don't, we don't wake up and ask the question, man, how can I take advantage of people? That's not a question that you ask. You're, you're smarter than that. Here's what we do ask, though. What's in it for me? What can I do that's best for me? How can I get ahead? How can I make sure that I'm number one? But Jesus comes along and he says, man, when you were hungry, you fed them. And when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And when I was a stranger, you invited me in. And when I was naked, you gave me clothes. And the people that were listening to Jesus were scratching their head and they said, Jesus, when were you ever hungry that we fed you? When were you ever thirsty that we gave you a drink? When were you ever naked that we would have clothed you? We don't remember that. And Jesus said, when the, the way that you did it to the least of these, you did to me. And so it's about, if I'm fearing God, I, I also, it, it, I'm engaged with God's people. I am recognizing my life is not just about me. I have a high view of God, and God has a high view of people. And if God has a high view of people, I better have a high view of people. My fear of God not only does that, but it reveals God to an unbelieving world. So my fear of God impacts and changes the way that I interact and deal with people that God loves, but also my fear of God reveals God to an unbelieving world. The second half of verse nine says this, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Well, why would we do that? To avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies. Nehemiah was saying, hey, people are watching you. People have an eye on the way that you're living, and the way that you're living is not producing a good image of God. It's not just about the here and the now and you're treating this person badly. It's that there's people on the outside and they're looking at the way that we're conducting our life and they're saying, what in the world is going on with those Israelites? Why in the world would they let their own people be sold into slavery? Why are the rich people impacting the poor people? He says, listen, if you don't fear God, you're showing what God is like to an outside and an unbelieving world. Again, Jesus, he said it this way, let your light so shine before men. Why would we do that, Jesus? So that other people can see your good works and not give you a thumbs up and not give you a sticker on your sticker chart. No, let other people see your good works that they might glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, your life, the way that you interact with your work and the way that you deal with stress and the way that you deal when other people treat you unfairly, other people are watching you. And other people are getting a picture of what is God like from your life. Jesus would say it this way in John chapter 13, a new command. You've heard this before. I give you. What's the new command, Jesus? Is it to be a great church attender? No. What about give a lot of money in the offering? No. What about learn lots of Bible verses? No. All good things. But that's not the command Jesus gave. Love one another. Why would I love one another? Well, I loved you. I have a high view of you. I gave something extraordinary for you, so you must love one another by this. Not by your good church attendance, not by how good of a Bible you reader you are, not by how good of a worship song singer you are. No, by how you love one another, everyone, not just believers, will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Somebody said it this way, that your life, my life, is the only Bible that some people are gonna read. The, some people are not gonna discover God by opening up Matthew and discovering God. 
Some people are going to discover God or avoid God because they watched your life, because they saw how you lived, because they saw how you interacted when you weren't treated fairly. And so the question that we deal with and that we have to wrestle with, if I am the picture of God to an unbelieving world that I live in, am I painting the right picture? Is the words that I'm using, are they painting the right picture of God? Is the way that I'm conducting my life painting the right picture of God? And it's not about being perfect. It's not about, man, I've really got to toe the line. It's just just saying, man, I, I fear God. I have a high view of God. And other people are watching me. If somebody learned all they knew about God from watching your life, would they have a good view of God? Would they have the right view of God? Another way to ask it is this. Are people surprised? Are people surprised when they hear that you're a church person? Are people surprised when they hear that you're a Christian because, man, what you do on Sunday at 10.15 to 11.15 is totally opposite of the way that you live the rest of the week? Is there a tension there? Well, a high view of God says, no, the way that I live on Sunday is just an extension of the way I live on Monday and the way that I live on Thursday. It's just this is my, it's not my church life and my life life. It's just this is my my life. And I'm not going to get it perfect, but I want people to see God through me. Here's the next one, that my fear of God causes me to repent when confronted with sin. That it, man, it's gonna help me to love people well. It's gonna make sure that I am an image bearer of God. That's one way to say it. And then when I am confronted with, hey, Kyle, you're in sin. That you're not a mistaker. You're just doing something that you know isn't right. Or maybe you didn't know, but now you know. What do I do with that information? When I'm confronted with my sin, not somebody else's sin, because we love to confront people with their sin. Isn't that true? Come on, Christians. We love to show other people their sin. That's not what we're talking about. A high view of God, a high view of yourself, confronts other people with their sin. A high view of you is so excited to show other people how bad of a person they are. But a high view of God makes me look in the mirror and say, what's my life doing? And if I find sin, if God in his mercy reveals this sinful area of my life, man, I'm, I'm repenting quickly. I'm not saying, no, it's not that big of a deal, or oh, this probably isn't that bad, or hey, everybody does, that's not even against the law. No, because I fear God, I have a high view of God, it's the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. I repent quickly, verses number 10 through 13 says this, and my brother's I and my brothers and my men are also lending people money and grain. And let's stop. Let's stop. It's sinful. Let's stop charging interest. Give it back to them immediately. Their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One per one percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. What did they say? We'll give it back. Now here's what we do. Oh well. I, it's probably not that big of a deal. Oh, nobody really care. But a high view of God says, oh, there was sin? I've got to repent. I've got to do something different. We'll give it back, they said. They didn't make excuses. They just changed. And we're not going to demand. Not only are we changing here, we're going in a direct, different direction in the future. So it's present change, future, not going back that same direction. We'll give it back, they said, and we're not going to demand anything more from them. We will do, as you say, then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this 
way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise, so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At, the whole, at this time, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. When I'm confronted with sin, man, how do I deal with that? Don't make excuses. I was wrong. I sinned. I'm going to move in a different direction. That's just what repent means. Maybe you know that already, and maybe this is new information. But repent, here's what it means. Don't make it more confusing than it is. Repent just means I'm moving in this direction. I recognize this isn't God's direction. I'm not a mistaker. I'm not just a a, a whoopsie-daisy sin. And so I turn and go the other way. That's what repent means, is that I'm going one way, and I go the other way. That's just what repent means. I turn the other way. And the fear of God, again, I'm not afraid of God's judgment on me. That was taken care of on the cross. So grateful for the cross that the judgment of God was poured out on Jesus so that I could be a child of God and I could live free of the fear of judgment from God. That's already been solved. But when I recognize that I am not living up to the way God wants me to live up in, I'm afraid that I'm going to fall off that ridge. Man, off that ridge is destruction and and pain and chaos. And so I'm going to adjust the way that I'm going because I have a high view of God. Here's two more for us, and we're going to be done for the day. My fear of God causes me to live differently. It just says, I know that this is what culture says, and I know that this is what's popular, and I know that this is the new thing, but my fear of God It changes the way that I live, not just sin versus not sin, but even things that are maybe normal or legal or maybe not even technically sin, it just changes the way that I live. I just live differently. Verses number 14 and through 16, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I, that Nehemiah is talking, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years. In other words, Nehemiah was in Jerusalem for 12 years. That's all that's saying. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, what did they do? Well, they had a low view of God. They placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from from them in addition to food and wine, which, P.S., was totally fine. That was totally legal. They were 100% allowed to do that. But Nehemiah said, It's just an attitude there. And yeah, technically, that's okay. I could have done that. I could have taken advantage of what was offered to me, but he goes on. Their assistance, they lorded it over the people. Look at this line. But out of reverence for God, how could we say it? Out of the fear of the Lord. Out of reverence for God, I didn't act like that. It was totally legal. It was totally on paper, that was fine. But there was something in Nehemiah's heart that says, that's not where you're gonna live. And you're not doing it because you can't. You're not doing it out of reverence for God, out of fear of God. There's something that sometimes God will put in our hearts that he won't put in other people's hearts. That there was something that God says to me, hey Kyle, I don't want you to do that anymore. And for you, it might be totally fine. That for, for, for me, Kyle, that's not something you're supposed to do and supposed to, you're, you're supposed to interact with. For example, for me, there, I have a, a moral conviction that I don't drink alcohol. That's just me. Jesus drank alcohol. Jesus made, made wine. And so it's not sinful. 
to not drink alcohol. I am totally legally, I'm age-wise, I, I could drink, but there's something in me that just says, this is just a conviction that, that I have. And if that's what God has put in my heart, then out of reverence for him, not some legalistic thing, I'm just not going to, to do that. And, that's, and God will do that for you about something else. God will put some things in your heart that are totally fine for other people. And other people don't have that same conviction. But God has said to you, don't do that. God has said to you, that's where you need to be at. And out of reverence for God, I'm gonna move in that direction. Go on. Uh, instead, what did Nehemiah did? I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All of my men were assembled there for the work and we did not acquire any land. Listen, Paul said it this way, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to drink alcohol, it's no problem. Just not everything's beneficial. And I'm not trying to give you a moral judgment this morning. You might not have any convictions about it whatsoever and that's totally fine, totally fine. I'm not trying to put my burden on you. Paul is just saying, man, there's some things that you could do that just aren't beneficial. There are some things that other people do that are totally fine for them, but just for you, for whatever reason, in this season of your life, God has said, I don't want you to do that. The fear of God causes me to live differently. That not ever, not, it's not can I do this, but should I do this? It's not, is this legal? Does this bring honor to Jesus? And there's lots of things that are legal and normal and fine for other people that in, in my life or in your life because of a high view of God. God has just put in your heart, yeah, it's allowed. It's just not beneficial. Man, I have the right to do anything. I'm just not gonna be mastered by it. I'm not gonna be mastered by anything. And then here's the last one. We'll finish up for the day. Is it my fear of God? at the end, we'll be rewarded by God. And that's great news for us. Is that if I live in such a way that honors and pleases my heavenly father, then even if it's not rewarded today on this earth, because God is gracious and he sees and he's merciful and is so kind, that there are rewards available for us. Did you know that there is going to be when you, if you, are, if you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, that when you die, you are not going to be brought to the judgment seat where you have to decide, am I gonna get into heaven or not? That's already been taken care of because of Jesus. But there is a judgment seat where God looks at the conduct of your life and rewards you based on how you lived your life. And that some people will have more rewards than other people. We'll all be in heaven but some people will be rewarded more than other people because of the way that they live their life. That's what the apostle Paul told us. And so my fear of God eventually, even if I miss out on some things today, maybe I miss out on some bonus because I'm not willing to, yeah, it's normal and everybody else in my work and everybody else in my industry, they, they kind of, it's legal, but it's a little gray. And when I do that or don't do that, maybe I miss out on some bonuses or maybe I miss out on some promotions or maybe I don't get the advancement. And yeah, it's legal, but there's just something in my heart that says, no, one day, even if I miss out on some rewards in these days, it's gonna be rewarded by God. Nehemiah said, verse number 19, God, would you just remember me with favor? I'm doing some things that I sometimes are hard and would you remember me with favor for all I've done for the people? Did you know you're allowed to pray that way? 
that you can just ask God, God, you're, you're, you're calling me to some things that are hard for me. And you're calling me to say no to some things that are hard for me. And you're calling me to say yes to some things that are hard for me. And so, Lord, I'm going to do it. Would you reward me for that? God, would you reward me for missing out on some things? And we'll just leave it in his hands. That my fear of God eventually, even if it's not on this earth, man, it's, it's rewarded by God in, in heaven. And that's the rewards. The Apostle Paul, again, as he's writing to his, uh, his mentor and his friend Timothy, he says, I have fought a good fight. I've, I've had a high few of God. I finished the race. I did all the things I would. And sometimes I had to crawl. And sometimes I had to, to, I was able to run. And sometimes I walked with a limp. But I finished the race that God had put me. I've, I've kept the faith. I haven't, I haven't veered away from it. Now there is in store for me. Not on this earth. Paul had a horrific life. And he was eventually killed for it. He was in jail and mistreated. But he kept the faith. He had this high view of God that called him to something more and something better because he saw that there was something more and something better waiting for him. There is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. All that pain that I went through, all those times where I could have just so easily denied faith in Jesus and had an easier life and I could have avoided some hurt and could have avoided some pain if I would have just not kept the faith. All of those things God saw, that God knows and that God sees and God is gonna reward eventually, not only to me, like I'm not special, but also those who have longed for his appearing. How's your view of God do you have a high view of God? H have you been guilty of being trite with God? That we treat God casually and treat him kind of flippantly and if we're honest, my Christian life is just like me riding my bike on that abandoned highway. I just kind of just carefree and, and casual. And there is some beauty in that. And my goal this morning is not to place this heavy weight on you because that moves to legalism and that's, a just, that's just as ugly as a low view of God. So I'm not trying to get us there. I'm trying to get us secure in that God is so in love with you and is so merciful to you and so gracious to you and so kind to you. And in his kindness, he has provided a path for us to walk. And he has provided security and he has provided strength and he is not going to abandon us. But we would do well to be careful how we walk, to be wise in how we live. Not because I'm afraid that God is going to come and get me, because I'm afraid what happens when I'm away from him. I'm afraid of what destruction is awaiting me if I'm not with him closely. A high view of God, I'm just telling you, it is the solution. A.W. Tozer was right. It is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, convict us this morning. Show us areas of our life that maybe we have been trite and trifled with the creator of the universe. And Lord, would we find ourselves in that tension of not being afraid of you because that's not what you want, but having the fear of God that we honor you and respect you and give you the glory that you deserve. And because of our high view of God, it impacts the way that we live on this earth. Lord, there's some people in our worlds that we don't get along with. There's some people that see the world differently. Would you help us out of fear of you to love people well, 
Lord, people are looking at our life. Would you help us out of fear of you to live our life in such a way that people see our good works and are seeing our Father in heaven? Lord, would you show us areas of our life that maybe we are in sin? Would you reveal areas of our life where we are not doing what you've called us to do or that we are doing what you've called us not to and that we would do more than just say, ah, not a big deal, but that we would choose to repent and go the other way. Lord, would you help us to be open to hearing those voices that you speak to our heart that says, maybe it's legal and maybe it's normal and maybe it's okay for other people, but I'm just calling you to live differently. Lord, would you call us to, to or would you lead us into having the faith to do that? And Lord, we're so grateful that you see all the things that you are aware of every sacrifice we make. You're aware of every hard choice that we decide. And Lord, we are so grateful that you will reward, that there is in store for us a crown of righteousness. And so help us to do like Paul. I've ran my race. I've kept the faith. I haven't given up. It's hard, Lord, but it's so worth it. Would you give us the grace for it? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.